continuing in Romans chapter 1. And, and like Chris said, um, a very uh, hard, controversial topic tonight. Before I get started, I just want to say a couple things. Um, this is a very controversial topic. I've taught on it before, but um, it's all in our culture uh, now. And so the church um, obviously needs to address it. And since we're in the book of Romans, and Romans chapter 1 is probably the most detailed uh, uh, description of homosexuality in, in the Bible. And so uh, we wanted to, uh, to address it. And uh, so it's important that we do it uh, honestly, uh, biblically, humbly, with integrity. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to aim to do that tonight. Uh, I also want to say that I'm going to be talking um, scripturally from the, from the Bible but also from personal experience. And I've shared my testimony before that I've struggled with same-sex attraction most of my life. And so as a result of a fractured relationship with my, with my father on an emotional level, um, not allowing him to love me because of my anger towards him and rejecting that love, um, and I needed that and I rejected it. And so I sought to get that need met uh, through homosexuality. Um, and I always knew it, it was ascending before I got saved, so I never went into the lifestyle or anything like that, but it brought about those desires in me. Um, and that's just one root cause of homosexuality or same-sex attraction is a, an abnormal, abnormal emotional detachment from the parent of the same sex, um, or an abnormal emotional attachment to the parent of the opposite sex. Meaning that if you relate too much, if a young boy relates too much to his mother, that can cause, not all the time, but that can bring about uh, a, a confusion in your identity. Um, and when you don't uh, embrace your father's affirmation, um, that can, you're going to try to find that somewhere else. And so um, that was my experience. So I'm also speaking from personal experience as well. And so, um, uh, so it's important that we understand that there is... Um, root causes to homosexuality. I know the, 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 the culture says that you're born like that, but that's not true. Um, there, there is a reason for it. There is a reason that people have same-sex attraction. Um, and there are many reasons. That was just one example. There are, there are, there are several reasons for that. Um, and even if you were, were born that way, that still doesn't change anything. <laughs> we are all born with proclivities towards whatever. And we'll get into a little bit of that in, a little bit later. So, um, and let me say, too, uh, the Bible is not anti-culture. The culture is anti-Bible. So the, the, the Bible is not against culture. The culture is against the Bible. God was here first. <laughs> so the culture is, is, is bucking against what God has already stated. God's not bucking against the culture. The culture is bucking against God. All right? So, so with that said, Romans chapter 1 I'm going to start, I'm going to read, start reading in verse 24. I'm give you a little background. We've already went over this, but, but Paul is addressing pretty much the Gentile world and talking about their idolatry and why they re, um, rejected God. Um, and, and so he's leading up to this, these verses here. He talks about them becoming fools and, and rejecting God and, and exchanging uh, uh, the truth for a lie and all of that. And so this, we're going to pick up in verse 24, but up from verse 18 to 21, to 23 rather, he addresses all of that. And then in verse 24 he says, therefore, after all I just said, what I just said about the culture and their rejection of God, he says, therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. 
They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. For even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The males, in the same way, also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. Okay. Um, the Bible has some very hard things to say sometimes to us. We are sinful, and we need hard truth stated to us sometimes, and the Bible is full of that. And this is one of them. These are some of the verses that are very hard, especially considering our culture today. This is some very, and I'm going to say some things today that are going to offend people. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to, the truth is offensive when you're not ready to hear it. And so I'm going to say some things that are going to be very offensive to some people. Um, and like I said, I don't apologize for what I say, but um, I humbly say them as somebody who's been here and somebody who, ha who has had to address my own issues and humble myself and look at this and say, what do I do with this? So I'm not speaking out of arrogance or pride. I'm seeking to speak out of humility. And the Bible says some very hard things to say that we need to swallow. Therefore, God delivered them over. We're going to see that three times. God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity. And deliver them over means to abandon or to give them over to their sin. After they rejected God and said, we don't want you or your ways, God says, okay, have it your way. I'll give you what you want. God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts. That's judicial abandonment. He's, this is the judgment of God. There's passive judgment, and this is the passive judgment on, of God on these people. If you want that, go for it. Okay? He delivered them over. He abandoned them over to their sin. To what? In the cravings of their hearts. Notice what a craving is at. It's in their heart. The cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity. That cravings is a lust, a passionate desire for sexual pleasure. That's what they wanted, and God says, I'm going to deliver you over to that. I'm going to let you have your sexual pleasure that's in your heart. And that word cravings means over-desire. They overly craved this stuff in their heart. He says, it says, he gave them over in the cravings of their hearts. I'm just going to walk through these verses. This is all I'm going to do. Just walk through these verses, break down verses 24 to 28, and then I'm going to address some of the, um, uh, the culture's uh, uh, defenses, if you will, of homosexuality. I'm going to get into that as well, but I want to walk through these verses first, first and foremost. So their bodies were degraded among themselves in sexual purity. Sexual purity means unclean, it's useless in a service of a particular God. It means contaminated or infected. So God said, I'm, I'm giving them over to the cravings in their hearts to sexual impurity. And this is talking about sexual, sexual impurity in general, not homosexuality. He's just talking about sexual impurity just in general right here. He hasn't gotten into that yet. He's just talking about overall. One of the first places you go when you reject God is sexual morality. That's one of the first things you do is you go to sexual morality. Um, that's just our nature. So one of the first things you're going to do when you reject God is go fulfill all your desires, sexual and otherwise. 
So they went into uncleanness sexually, degraded passions. He says, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Degraded means passions of dishonor, treated shamefully or vile. Notice that it was manifested through their bodies. They degraded the, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Like I said, this is just in general. This is talking about WAP. You know that song WAP? That's, kind of, that's what this is talking about. The music videos we see, that's what this is talking about. Mardi Gras and all that kind of stuff. The, um, um, gay pride parades, that's what this is talking about. Degraded themselves. That's a sign, that, 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 that is a sign that God has abandoned the society when they do stuff like that. Our society is obsessed with sex. And sex, not sex and marriage, sex period, sexual immorality, obsessed with it. We see it everywhere. Our society is, is obsessed with that. And God said, you want that? Go, go for it. You can have it. And we think that, see, the, sometimes the judgment of God looks like freedom. I say that all the time. Sometimes the judgment of God looks like freedom. When God is silent and he doesn't do anything, we think that he's approving of it. And sometimes it looks like judgment. Psalm 50, and I've read this before, but this is a powerful verse to me. And it says, but God says to the wicked, what right do you have to recite my statutes and to take my covenant on your lips? It's talking to the wicked. You hate instruction, and you turn your back on my words. You hate what I say. So what right do you have to even quote a scripture? Because you don't like it anyway. You hate instruction and turn your back on my words. When you see a thief, you make friends with him, and you associate with adulterers. You ain't got no problem with that stuff. You unleash your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. You sit, maligning your brother, slandering your mother's son. You have done these things, and I kept silent. I didn't say nothing. You thought I was just like you. Because I didn't respond, because I didn't kill everybody on the spot, you thought I was okay with all of that. He says, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. Understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart and there will be no one to rescue you. Listen to that language. God says some hard things sometimes. Whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me, and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. But he said, because I didn't, I didn't uh, kill everybody immediately, you thought it was okay. Because I was silenced, because the passive judgment of God is silence rather than the active judgment of God. Well, you know, like the flood, that was active, and you go, okay, that was God. Solomon and Gomorrah, okay, that was God. But when it's passive and God says, I'll let you have what you want, that's the passive judgment of God, and we think that, okay, we're good. God is okay with this. He didn't strike down America when they left the White House in a rainbow flag in 2016. We're good. God is okay with that. He, he approved of that. Because I was silent, you thought I was okay with it. Sometimes the judgment of God looks like freedom. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. For even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. There's a switch. They exchanged, instead of saying, I want God and his truth, I want the lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator. 
who is praised forever. Reflections of God in the heart and mind lead to exchanging truth of God for lies. When you reject God, you exchange the truth for, for a lie. When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then are capable of believing anything. When you reject God, I don't want God. It's not that you don't believe in anything. Oh, you believe something. You, it's just now that you're able to believe anything somebody puts in front of you. There's no filter anymore. There's no filter anymore. He says, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship. Notice they're still worshiping. We reject God. We ain't worshiping him, but we still going to worship. Instead, they, they, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve something created instead of the creator. Instead of worshiping the creator, we're going to worship stuff that's created. Worship stuff that's created. This is why, and then, okay, God says, this is why God delivered them over. Again, delivered them over to degrading passions. Degrading passions, vile, disgraceful, inordinate affections is what that means. Vile, disgraceful, inordinate affections. God says, I'm going to let you have that. He delivered them over to that, to degrading passions. For even their females exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. He says, even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Notice there's natural sexual relations. Like I said, I'm just going to walk through and just talk about what's written. Natural sexual relations. He said, they exchanged that for unnatural ones. What's he talking about? Lesbianism. Unnatural means contrary to nature. So they exchange what's normal in nature for something that's abnormal in nature. For even their females exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Verse 27, the males in the same way also left natural relations with female, females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. So the men did the same thing. They also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust, that word again, lust, inordinate affections for one another. That's hard. It says they were inflamed, they left the natural relations and were inflamed in their lust for one another. That word inflamed means to be, to be kindled, burned up in lustful passion for one another. Instead of desiring women, they desired each other sexually. It says they were inflamed in their, it says it was lust for one another. It wasn't pure, it was, it was lust for one another. Males, men, committed shameless acts with other men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their error. Listen. Males committed shameless acts. The Bible says, what two men do in the bedroom is shameless. I didn't say that. The church didn't say that. God said that. He said, it's shameless. Committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. 
That word shameless means unseemly. Our bodies were designed for each other. Just look at the, the bodies of human beings. Biologically, male and female, their bodies were meant to be together to create life sexually. Just look at nature. Science tells you that. The man and the woman's body is, are meant to be together. Two men and two women cannot represent God in that relationship. Their bodies are not meant to be together sexually. You just look at the body. It's not rocket science. And I'm not trying to be funny. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. The appropriate penalty, that means reward or wages in return. In other words, whatever the consequence of that was, the Bible says they earned that. AIDS almost wiped out the homosexual community in the 80s and 90s. You can't tell me that this scripture is not speaking to that. And I know that's hard to hear. They received in their own purpose the appropriate penalty of their error. Another translation says of their perversion. It's perversion. I didn't say that. That's what it says. Error, perversion. You have to understand, Paul is basing all of this on the natural created order of the world that God created in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's going back to the Genesis. In the beginning, God created male and female. In the beginning, he's going back to what he knows to be true about the creation of mankind. He's, he's not just bringing this out of thin air. This is not Paul's opinion. He's speaking of what the Torah says. He's speaking about what God intended. There's a natural uh, order and flow in the world, in the creation, in the universe that God, in, that God created and intended. And when sin came in, that flow was interrupted. When sin entered, it, it messed up the order of God. And this is part of what he's talking about. When you reject God, this is what you're subject to. When God lets you go, this, these are the kind of things that you do, that we do when we, when we reject God. They received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of the error. God does not have to punish you for sin. Your sin will punish you. God doesn't have to afflict you with AIDS. Your sin will do it. And he lets that happen. That's the appropriate penalty of their error. I know that's hard to hear. It's hard for me to say that. But what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? Just ignore it? That's what it says. And I got to figure out, okay, do I, do I submit? I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. <sighs> males committed them shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the penalty of their, of their error. That word error means perversion. Like I said, it means wandering away, a forsaking of the right path. A wandering away, a forsaking of the right path. Males committed shameless acts and received their own penalty, their penalty for wandering away from the right path. 
And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. They didn't think it was, okay, if God, God's not even worth our time. It means humanity put God to the test and judged him and decided against acknowledging him. That's what that means. They put God to the test. Hear that? They put God to the test, judged him, and decided against acknowledging him. If he, doesn't, if he don't want to accept who we are, if he won't allow us to get married, we reject him. I'll go find a God who will. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. God delivered them over to a worthless mind. Delivered them over again. That's the third time we saw that, we heard that. Delivered them over to a worthless mind. It says in, 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 in uh, verse 21 of, of chapter 1, um, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for idols. Thinking themselves to be wise. It says they thought they were wise. God, God didn't say they were wise. They became fools the Greek word is moros, where we get the word moron. They became morons, God said. Worthless mind, moronic minds. God delivered them over to worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. It's immoral. It's immoral. To do what is morally wrong. The worthless mind is a mind which, cannot, which God cannot approve. It must be rejected by him, a mind preoccupied with evil and sexual pleasure. That's what God delivered them over to, to the mind that was preoccupied with evil and sexual pleasure. And God said, I can't approve of that. I got to reject that. Now, that's what the scripture says. You just walk through that. It's not, it's simple. Based on the order of God, the creation of God, Paul is just breaking down what happens when you reject God. And one of the things that happens is you leave what's natural and you embrace what's unnatural. You reject the truth and you embrace a lie. It's just how things go when you reject God. And that's what happens when you reject God. Homosexuality is a result in one sense. It's the passive judgment of God is what we're seeing on our nation. It's the passive judgment of God. When he allows that to happen, when he allows that to happen, he will allow your kids to be taught by transgender people, by a man in a dress and reading him a story. He'll allow that to happen. And we call it being progressive. And God calls it perversion. That's the passive judgment of God. There are consequences to that. And we don't see them immediately, and we won't, but they're coming. Now, there are some other verses in the Bible that deal with homosexuality. Leviticus, Old Testament, chapter 18, verse 22, you are not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable. A five-year-old can understand that. If a man sleeps with a woman as, with a, as, as, as a man with, with, with a woman, Leviticus 20, verse 13, if a man sleeps with a man as with a woman, they have both committed a detestable thing. They must be put to death. Their, body is on, their blood is on their own hands. Hard verses. He said it's detestable, an abomination, which means it's loathsome, it's dangerous, it's sinister, it's sinister or repulsive to another person. That's what abomination means, it's detestable means. 
loathsome, dangerous, sinister, or repulsive to another person, in this case, God. God said, that's repulsive to me. New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 11, verses 9 to 11. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Ah. Uh, do not be deceived, no sexually immoral people, idolaters or, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. Uh, and in King James it says effeminate, which means soft or soft to the touch, and it literally means unmanly. And it refers to the receiver of the relationship in homosexuality, if you know, if you, the bottom, okay? Figuratively, it's a man who allows himself to be sexually abused by another man. And that's not talking about against his will. It's talking about when you lie down willfully and allow a man to have sex with you. The word homosexual in this, in this, in this phrase is arsenokoitos. And it means, it's two words, male and bed. It's men who practice sex with men. Sodomites is another word. That's where we get the word sodomy from. And it's a Greek translation of Leviticus chapter 18 and 20, what we just read. So Paul is not just pulling this out of thin air. He's going back to the Old Testament. <laughs> He's going back to what God had already said here. The purpose of God delivering them over, we heard that three times, was first of all, to allow the consequences of their sin to affect them. And then secondly, it's, it's for them to realize they need a savior. When God delivers you over, he's trying to get you to see, listen, this is going to kill you, it's going to take you out when he allows your sin to have its way with you and to realize you need me, you need a savior, let me free you from this. But those two scriptures are, are two of the most popular, those three are the most popular scriptures in the Bible. There's, there's, there's a few others in, in Genesis 19 with Solomon and Gomorrah and, and Judges chapter 19 and 1 Timothy 1 um, and, and Jude, and Jude uh, 7, I believe. There's six uh, to in total in the, in the Bible to talk about homosexuality. Okay. Now, I want to talk about uh, some of the objections that you're going to hear in the world. Uh, we just heard what God said about homosexuality. And there's so much more that could be said. There's so much that could be said about this. This, is, this really needs more than one message, but there's so much to say, and we just can't say it all, you know. Um, but I want to talk about some of the ob objections and some of the arguments you're going to get from the world. You're going to hear on TV about why homosexuality is not sin. Before I do that, I want to read a couple things. A guy named Joe Dallas, who's a former homosexual, who, who, there's a guy named Matthew Vines who wrote a book several years ago, I forget how long it's been, called God and the Gay Christian, and he gives a defense of why Christianity and homosexuality can, can coincide, why it's not a sin. All right, so, um, and, Joe, and Joe Dallas, like I said, who was a former homosexual who used to be a member of a gay church back in the 80s and got saved. Um, he's probably the best person that I've ever heard on the topic of homosexuality. If you ever want to read anything about Joe Dallas, he's an expert, he's brilliant. Um, but he did a, a seven-part series refuting Matthew Vine's book on homosexuality, but he says something here. Um, in part five, he says, when plain truth condemns what we love, our choices are few. 
when the plain truth condemns something that we love, our choices are few. We can abandon what we love in obedience to the truth, which is what we should do. We can abandon what we love in obedience to the truth. We can rebel openly against the truth, which we also see, or we can attempt to rewrite the truth to appease our conscience and silence our critics. We can rewrite the truth to appease our conscience and shut people up who disagree, who, who disagree with us. And then he gets into, this is what Matthew Vines is doing. He's rewriting scripture to appease his conscience. He also says this, and this is for people, we all know somebody, whether family or friends, who are gay that we love. I do, I know I do. And that's, that's just where we are, that's, and that's fine. And we should love them, and we should, and we should. But he says, if you deeply love someone who's homosexual and are just as deeply convinced God disapproves, I love you, but that's a sin against God. And you believe both of those things. The homosexual community can tell you that you can't, but no, you can. It could be a mighty relief to hear someone offer a new, improved version of the Bible assuring you that your loved one and God are just fine, thank you, and that his homosexuality is acceptable. No more worries about consequences in this life or the next. No more concerns about how or when the prodigal will return. Who doesn't want to hear that? When you love somebody who's gay, who, who doesn't want to hear that? You mean there's a new version? What? I mean, I ain't got to worry about my son, my daughter. You want to hear that because you love them. But at the same time, you know what God has already said. So remember that as I'm talking here. You can rewrite the truth to appease your conscience and shut people up who disagree with you. Uh, objection number one. Is, I can't go through all the objections. I'm just going to go through, go through a few of them. Is that in Romans chapter 1, Paul means when he says they left the natural use. Let me go back to that. When he says males in the same way left natural relations with females, he says Paul means men whose natural orientation was heterosexual. And they were acting not out of their nature, but out of, out of, they were acting out of what was not natural to them. So that's why it was sin for them, because it wasn't natural for them. They weren't oriented to homosexuality. They were heterosexuals. And they were just... Nowhere in Scripture... Does, does Paul or anybody else make a distinction between any kind of homosexuality? He just says males with males. He doesn't say males who are heterosexual. He just says males with males doing that which is unnatural. There's no, what he does, I haven't read his book, but, I, but, but, but people, he, 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 he eisegetes all these texts. He reads into them what he wants to be there. And he adds stuff in there that he wants to be there. So he says that this is talking about uh, men who are heterosexual, leaving their natural heterosexual state and going out and having homosexual relations. That is not what Paul is saying here. There's no way you can get that in, in this verse. He doesn't make any distinction. He also says that what Paul condemns is, is, is uh, certain forms of homosexuality. Like pederasty, that's what he's talking about here. Uh, male adults and boys, that's what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter. Again, there's no reason to believe that. He puts that in the verse. And he said Paul, he said Paul wasn't aware of a loving relationships, homosexual relationship in his day. Really? 
Paul wasn't aware of loving homosexual relationships in his day. And even if, I'll, I'll even grant you that, but if Paul wasn't, God wasn't. God wasn't, God didn't say, God, God wasn't aware of loving homosexual relationships. And, and listen, love and sin can coexist at the same time. We need to understand that. Listen, love and sin can coexist at the same time, one not canceling the other and one not justifying the other. You can love somebody and be in sin. A man who's married and is having an affair, he can love the woman he's having an affair with. That does not justify that relationship. He loves her. He may not even love his wife anymore. He loves her. That makes no difference at all. That is still sin. He still needs to repent. Two, a heterosexual couple who love each other cannot have sex. That doesn't, their love for each other does not justify them having sex outside of marriage. Love and sin can coexist at the same time. So just because you love each other, that is no excuse. Listen, I, have a, I had a friend who's since passed away who was a homosexual, got saved, um, and told his lover, he was living with his lover, and he said, got saved and told his lover he had to move out after a certain had to move out. He said, I remember the day he moved out. He said, it was a Saturday. He said, and I was in the kitchen, I was washing dishes. He said, as he moved his stuff out of the apartment, I was washing dishes, I was standing at the sink. He said, with tears pouring down my face. He said, I couldn't even help him move his stuff because part of me didn't want him to go because he loved him. And he said, I remember God saying, and I'm a paraphrase, God saying, I know this is hard, I know it hurts. He said, but you need to obey me. As he was standing there with tears pouring down his face, Listen, sometimes obeying God, doing what's right, what you know is right, will hurt you to your core. Sometimes obeying God will rip your heart out. Doing what God says sometimes will rip your heart out. Giving up sin sometimes will rip your heart out. He said, I was standing at the sink, and I couldn't even, I was just crying. God ripped his heart out. And he's not ripping it out because he's being mean. He said, give me that stony heart and I'll give you a heart of flesh to make you obey me, to cause you to want to obey me. I'm going to rip this heart out because I want to give you a new one, Eddie. I want to give you a new one, Shalice. I want to give you a new one, Justin. Sometimes obeying God will rip your heart out. Love and sin can coexist. Fast forward a few years later, the guy get, he gets married, deals well with issues, gets married and has a family. The love, ex-lover calls, calls him, you know, and he keeps calling. So the guy tells him, listen, you know, um, please, I appreciate it if you wouldn't call me, blah, blah, blah. You know, and the guy, for several months, the guy was calling, and he called, and he finally had to threaten the guy to not call him anymore, you know, because the guy kept calling. What happened? God gave him a new heart. Before he was crying because the guy was left, and then he ended up having, almost having to threaten the guy to stop calling my house, because the guy didn't even respect the fact that he was married and had a family now. He didn't care. But God gave him a new heart, ripped it out, standing at the sink, washing dishes. And listen, God, and God didn't say, why are you crying? Stop crying. What's wrong with you? God didn't say that. God understand, I understand his hurts. I know that. I know. I love you, son, but you need to obey me here. 
God didn't chastise him for crying over giving up his sin. But he didn't say it was okay either. God didn't say, ah, I I didn't realize how much you loved him. I'm sorry. No, no, I know you love him, but you need to love me more. Ripped his heart out and gave him a new one. So loving, love has nothing to do with it. (sighs) Another argument they say is Jesus never mentioned it. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Why y'all, you know, tripping over it? Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Argument from silence, which is a silly argument. But um, first of all, a couple things. All scripture is God-breathed. Not just the gospels. You can't just go to the fourth gospel and say Jesus never mentioned it here. Okay, all scripture is God-breathed and approved. Okay, first of the thing. Secondly, the gospel is is, is not all there is to know. Thirdly, not all this Jesus said is recorded, okay? Um, but uh, like I said, uh, uh, all Scripture is God-breathed. Jesus wrote the Old Testament. He wrote the New Testament. He wrote what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. When, 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 when God destroyed, destroyed God, Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus was right there in approval. The Holy Spirit was right there in approval. He wrote it. Uh, Matthew chapter 15. This is Jesus speaking. Summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then the disciples came up and told him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard this statement? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. Then Peter replied to him, explain this parable to us. Are even you still lacking in understanding, he asked. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles the man. Listen to this. What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles the man. Verse 19, from, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Okay, what did he say? Verse 19, for from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality. We already heard that word. That word sexual immorality in the Greek is porneia, which is where we get the word pornography. Fornication. For, so that included every form of sex outside of marriage. So that would include homosexuality. And the Jews knew that. He didn't have to explain that to them. When he said sexual immorality, they knew exactly what he meant. All them thoughts went into the mid. Okay, that means fornication, homosexuality, BCL, all of that. So Jesus included that in this when he said sex. So they, because he didn't say the word homosexual, doesn't mean he didn't address it. He addressed it right here. He said it comes out of your heart. Remember the heart, the evil desires in the heart in Romans chapter 1 I read? He said it's in their heart. That's, Jesus said that's just what that comes from. Sexual immoralities. Then he says in Matthew 19, he says, in the beginning, have you not heard in the beginning, God made the male and the female, for a man shall leave husband, mother and father and cleave to his wife. He sanctioned and gave and, 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 and stamp of approval to Genesis 19 the heterosexual marriage in Matthew chapter 19. He knew exactly. And, 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 and another thing, 
Jesus didn't have to address it. Like, there's a lot of things that Jesus didn't, didn't say about. If you can argue from silence. He never said anything about um, um, bestiality. He never said anything about that. Never said anything about rape. Never said anything about incest. Are you going to say that because that's a silly argument? In Leviticus 18, <laughs> uh, this guy, Matthew Vines, argues that um, the homosexuality that he's talking about is because it was affiliated with idolatry. They weren't worshiping the true God, and so that's why that, the homosexuality and that sin was, was talking about idolatry. Okay. <laughs> he gives a whole list of stuff, sexual sins that, that, you are, that, that the children of Israel couldn't commit. He mentions bestiality, uh, incest, so, and it all in the same context. So you pluck out homosexuality and say, okay, he was talking about idolatry, but all of it was in the context of idolatry. So you're saying that um, I can have sex with an animal as long as it's not in the the context of idolatry? I can commit adultery as long as it's not in the context of idolatry? No, he would not say that. He's picking and choosing. The Bible says... The Bible forbids it and then calls it an abomination. He didn't call it abomination and then forbid it. He forbids it first. It's sin. Don't do that. That's, an, that's detestable to me. There's no sin, any kind of sin, even fornication. Any, it's, it's, it's a sin on its own merits. <laughs> on its own merit, it's sinful. You can't commit fornication as a heterosexual couple as long as it's not in the, in the context of idolatry. You can't do it, Period until you get married. He does this all the time. All the time. Okay. Uh, orientation. Uh, they talk about, I'm oriented this way. I'm going to read, I'm going to read some things in, in a couple books um, I want to read. Uh, and just bear with me a, a minute. But we hear that word, this is about sexual orientation, okay? And the American Psychiatric Association defines sexual orientation as this. Refers to an enduring pattern of emotional, romantic, and or sexual attractions to men, women, or both sexes. Sexual orientation also refers to a person's sense of identity based on those attractions. Related, based on those attractions, related behaviors, and membership in a community of others who share those attractions. So that's how they define sexual orientation. It's an or, that's, that's how I'm bent, if you will. Uh, sexual orientation, uh, wait a minute, where do I want to go? Okay. Those who have an enduring experience of sexual desire for a person of the same sex are said to have an, an homosexual orientation. Okay. The Bible speaks clearly about our sexual desires and attractions. It also renders a clear word about this defining element of sexual orientation. When individuals feel themselves experiencing an attraction or a desire toward a person of the same sex, the Bible is clear about their responsibility before God at that point. Okay? The very experience of the desire becomes an occasion for repentance. The fact that you want to have sex with somebody of the same sex, you need to repent of that desire. And it is a pastoral malpractice to tell someone who is feeling a, a sexual attraction for a person of the same sex that there is no need to repent. A person is not absolved of a, a moral desire simply because it seems to follow an enduring pattern or an orientation. That doesn't change anything. We all have desires that are not godly. 
The enduring nature of, sex, of same-sex desire is an indication not that God approves such desire, but that we are intricately sinful apart from grace. That's all that means. Sam Albert says, he says, feelings or sexual attractions are part of what I feel, not who I am. See, what they do is saying, because I feel this, that means that's who I am. Well, feelings are not facts. Feelings are not facts, church. That doesn't mean that that's who you are. Feelings are supposed to be the caboose, not the engine. We make them the engine and lead us. They're supposed to be the caboose. This, like I said, feelings are not facts. And people who prioritize feelings don't care about facts. You hear what I said? People who prioritize feelings don't care about the truth or facts. All that matters is what I feel. And that's wrong. Being unchosen does not make it less sinful because I didn't choose this doesn't make it less sinful. And like I said, this is some hard stuff. I know, I know. Um, There is no ontological category of sexual orientation. The idea of identity emerging from sexual desire embodies a philosophy of the soul that is false. Christians who feel beholden by culture to use the concept of sexual orientation ought to stop and ask one question. Where ought we to situate sexual orientation in relation to biblical principles? If we were to fish around for a biblical place to contain this, this um, neo, neoclism, it could only be traced to the biblical, biblical concept of flesh. That's it. That's hard. Um, accepting sexual orientation as an identity-defining element of the human condition is foreign to Scripture. There's no biblical, biblical basis for that except as a feature of human sinfulness. For this reason, the term orientation may be altogether irredeemable, irredeemable for Christians trying to communicate biblical truth and how God has created us as bearers of his image. When Christians use terms like gay Christian to describe believers who experience same-sex attraction, they are speaking in a way that is best misleading and worse, a complete surrender to the falsehoods of the sexual revolution. We are not to define ourselves as a sum total of a fallen sexual desire. We are to define ourselves according to the purposes that God has revealed in his word. The Bible uses the word uh, desire. Homosexual community uses orientation. Same thing. Just because you have a desire or an orientation, I have an orientation to do a whole lot of wrong stuff. And so do you. That doesn't mean that's who you are. That's what you feel. That's what you're tempted to. That's what you're attracted to or whatever. That's not who you are. My sexual urges don't define me. Uh, one last thing. That book, by the way, is called Transforming Homosexuality by Denny Burke and Heath Lambert. It's one of the things I'm going to recommend in the end. This one is God and the Gay Christian, um, a response to Matthew Vines. Uh, by Albert Moeller, who did a, 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 great, a great response to it. Um, let me read uh, this real quick, too. 
The American Psychiatric Association defines sexuality as an enduring pattern of emotional, romantic, and or sexual attractions to men and women of both sexes. When describing where this attraction comes from, the American Psychiatric Association is honest, although this is what they say, although much research has examined the possible genetic, hormonal, developmental, social, and cultural influences on sexual orientation, no findings have emerged that permit scientists to conclude that sexual orientation orientation is determined by any particular factor factors. There's no scientific evidence for that. Back in the day, when, when, when homosexuality back in, back in the day, 60s, 70s, early, even earlier than that, um, it was labeled under a mental condition in the, in the psychiatry book. They changed it in the early 70s, not because of any findings or new facts. It was pressure, political pressure from the, from the homosexual community. That's the only reason they changed it. That's the only reason they changed it. Um, the facts presented by the American Psychiatric Association about sexual orientation are much more modest than Vines, Matthew Vines assertions, asserts in his book. When the APA describes orientation, it talks about patterns of desire. Did you hear that? Patterns of desire. That's what it's talking about, orientation, patterns of desire. The Bible does not use the word orientation. It does, however, use a, a synonym, desire. Vine's assertion that the Bible does not understand orientation is therefore untrue. Vine says the Bible has no concept of sexual orientation, so it doesn't deal with that issue. But that's not true. His error is the common one of assuming that because the Bible uses different terminology than modern people, it does not address the same concerns. It says desire. Um, the point is that the Bible understands the powerful and persistent issue that Vines calls orientation in its use of the language of desire. That's all it's thought. It's just desire. <sighs> Difficult topic. Difficult issue. I know. I know. I said some hard stuff. But the Bible, we have to, because of where the culture is, and listen, they're coming after the church. They already started. They want to demand the church accept this and embrace this. They insist that we do. And some churches have caved in. They have. One of the things I think about, and this is not, uh, in Genesis 19, the story of Solomon and Gomorrah, Lot, when the, when the men come and ask Lot uh, to send out the men so they can have sex with them, um, and Lot tries to talk them out of it, don't do this, this is wrong, and, you know. Uh, then God says to Lot, Lot, stand back. Get your family out of here. Go. I'm going to destroy this city. When they wouldn't listen to Lot, who said, don't do this, please. No, he even offered his daughters, which was wrong, but he even offered his daughters to them. When they told him, who are you to judge us? Get out of our way. When they tried to force themselves on Lot, who was representative of the church, when they tried to force him, God says, okay, Lot, get out of here. I'm going to deal with this myself now. When they tried to force themselves upon God, God said, you've gone too far. I'm going to deal with you myself now. And he destroyed Solomon and Gomorrah. I'm not saying God's going to destroy homosexuals. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know what he's going to do. But when you try to force yourself upon God and his church and try to make us embrace this, you're dealing with God now. 
God says, you don't force yourself upon me or my people. That's a hard word, I know. And like I said, I'm not claiming that God's going to destroy I don't know what he's going to do, but you better not try that. I'm done. Um, the church, the Bible says, is the, is the ground and pillar of the truth. This is where we come to hear truth. This is true. It's hard truth, but it's truth nonetheless. We love, listen, like I said, I got family members and friends who are gay who I love dearly. I love dearly. But I can love you and disagree with you in spite of what they may tell you. You can love them and disagree with them. Give them the truth, give them the gospel. You ain't got to, and I don't, I don't tell people that that's my struggle when I first meet them. That's not, I don't blurt that out, but hi, my name is Eddie, and by the way, you know, <laughs> something I do, it's not the first thing, that's, it's not the most important thing about me. That's the first thing I tell people. I'm very selective about who I share that with, just out of wisdom. But uh, we have to be true to what Scripture says. Um, last thing, I, want, I got a couple uh, recommendations for you. Like I said, these two books, first of all, The Trans- Transforming Homosexuality, Denny Burke and Heath Lambert, God and the Gay Christian, uh, by a response to Matthew Vines by Albert Moeller. One, um, an article that was written, I think in 87 or 89, by two gay men called uh, The Overhauling of Straight America, how, how we will get America to embrace homosexuality. If you, listen, you need to read that. The Overhauling of Straight America. One guy's name is Matt Kirk, I think is his name. You can Google it. See me after if you want to. But they talk about what they will do to get America to embrace homosexuality. And when you read that, you see they did everything they said they were going to do, and it worked perfectly. And, and that's why we are what we are today. Trust me. When I read that, I was like, oh my God. The Overhauling of Straight America. Second is a video on YouTube called, And Such for Some of You. And it's an interview with multiple people who, who, are, who are former homosexuals who give their testimony about um, their whole story, about how they became about same-sex attraction and what, how God intervened. And what, I, I try to watch that at least once a year. It's so encouraging. It's so good. If you want to hear some personal stories, please watch that YouTube. It's called, And Such Were Some of You. Because uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, and some of you used to be like this. Some of y'all used to be gay. So don't anybody tell you that you can't be an, a, a former homosexual. Listen, there's three, there's homosexuals who get totally free, got totally free, that they never have a desire for the same sex ever again. Never. There are those who struggle, you know, it's not, it's not a problem, it's not a big issue anymore, they still struggle, but, but they're able to have, have a relation with the opposite sex, get married, do all of that. Um, they still have some, some attraction, but it doesn't control them anymore. And there are some who never have an attraction to the opposite sex, but they desire to live holy and righteous. And they control their passions. And they, and they live for God. All three of those are biblical. I think the first one is the exception. I don't think most people are in that category. I think most people are probably in the middle category or the last one. But you can be in any one of those categories. Totally free, still struggle, or... I never have a desire for the opposite sex, but you know what? I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live holy. And all three of those are biblical. So as we prepare to take communion, we're going to thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit 
thank God that our identity is not in our urges, our feelings, our emotions, our sexual desire. That is not where our identity is. Our identity is in Christ, and we celebrate what He did at the cross. Like Paul said, and such were some of you. Why are you X? Because of the, because of the gospel, because of the cross. Um, also, one third uh, recommendation, a guy named Beckett Cook, who has a YouTube channel, um, former homosexual, came out of Hollywood. Um, his name is Beckett Cook. It's called the Beckett Cook Show. He's very good. He deals with all of these issues all the time on his show. Um, so um, if you want uh, uh, those recommendations, see me afterwards. But we're going to take communion. We're going to sing a song, take communion, and we're going to celebrate the gospel. As believers, we are called to, to die, to come to Christ and to die um, of our own desires, our own will. Um, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they killed a sacrifice. God said, I want a living sacrifice. And that living sacrifice is not easy. It's not always easy. God says, I want a living sacrifice, which means I die to myself, my desires, my own orientation, whatever that may be. I die. I come and I surrender that to you, God. I have these urges, God, these desires. I'm prone to wander. <laughs> to, I'm prone to leave the God I love. I'm prone to wander and after my own desire, my own orientation, whatever that is. But God says, give me your heart, your desire. Give it to me. I'll reorient it. At the cross, Jesus made that possible for us to come to God and to surrender to him. And we thank him for dying to make that possible, to come and surrender our life to the God of, of the universe. So as we partake of this, the bread and the wine, let us remember the power of the cross, the power to reorient us, <laughs> whatever that orientation or desire is. The cross allowed God, allows God to reorient. And once we surrender to what Jesus did, broke his body and shed his blood, and now the power of orientation, reorienting my desire, God says, I will take out that stony heart and give you a heart of flesh, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. He said, I will cause you to do it. You won't do it on your own. He said, but I will cause you to do it once I give you a new heart. I will cause you to, do, to hate the sin that you used to love. I will cause you to want to be holy. I will cause you to do that because of the power of the cross. So let's partake and celebrate the power of the broken body and shed blood of our Savior. God, we thank you. We bless you. Thank you for loving us in spite of us, Lord. Loving us in all of our messed up natures and, and sexuality and, and thinking and everything else, God. But you are a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so again, we say thank you. And as we leave this place, whenever your presence, give us traveling mercies. Bring us back at the appointed time. We'll give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.